Imagine for a moment, I'm going out for dinner, uh, a nice dinner with my spouse or uh, let's say it's a friend, um, a friend of mine. As I get out of the car and, I, and you know we're headed towards the door, I also notice there's another car that had parked and a pretty large group gets out of that car and they start heading for the restaurant at the same time. <laughs> and you know what? I'm hungry and I've been looking forward to this dinner all night or all, all day while I'm work. I'm thinking about this dinner and we're headed to the door at about the same time that this other group looks like they're headed to the door. And so I quicken my pace. I start going a little bit faster, not so that you can notice, but I'm trying to get to that door first. And normally I'd hold the door open and let others go through, but this time I just open and we go in. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in that scenario. I have lived that scenario. Here's another one. Now imagine I'm on an airplane and you know, we just landed after a long flight. And as soon as the seatbelt sign turns off, we're about to, you know, unload this plane. Everyone jumps out of their seat. They're in the aisle. They're eager to get out of here. Everyone's waiting. We're all waiting to get off this crammed airplane. And so finally, it's my turn. And so as I go to reach up to get my bags, uh, someone from behind me pushes past to get off the plane ahead of me. And I'm thinking, you couldn't wait 10 more seconds. You had to push through. That, so this, this scenario has actually happened and there was a, a flame of intense emotion in that moment for me. Here's another scenario. Maybe, maybe you've been in this one. I'm getting gas at Sam's Club or Costco and gas is cheap. So the lines are really long. All the lines for all the pumps are very long, but I do notice one that's surprisingly short. And so I start in that direction. And just then a newcomer who hasn't been waiting in line, you know, starts moving in and signals that they want to get in line right there. So what do I do? Do I uh, back off and let them go in? Or do I just, I just, uh, I can't see you right now. I just pretend like I can't even see. Have you been in any of those scenarios before? And maybe, maybe you have, maybe you've, maybe you would notice what, what are some common aspects about each of those scenarios. Maybe the theme is uh, frustration. <laughs> Maybe the, the, the themes, there's themes of uh, my, my goals are getting blocked by someone else. It feels like in each one, there's a winner and a loser. One big theme that runs through those scenarios and actually a lot of scenarios that we face every day is we feel that our goals and interests are more important than the others. I mean, this is, that, that really is kind of a big theme in, in all these stories. I should be the first one in line at the restaurant. We parked first after all, I deserve it. People in the back of the airplane need to wait their turn and wait for me to exit first. Or I've been waiting in this line, so I deserve to get gas ahead of you. This really, these, these everyday situations reveal how often that we live with a me above you approach to life, to people and to situations. My name is Bruce Wood. I'm the lead pastor of Valley Lights Church, and I'm excited that you're listening today because we are in this series called Relational Glue. <laughs> How do you enjoy the people that you're stuck with? Because let's face it, you're stuck with some people. Maybe you live with them or you work with them or you see them every day on your street or, or just you're stuck around people because 
Who, who of us can escape being around people at all? And we've got these grinding points that crop up in relationships that can really make life a drag, can really make things difficult. And in those grinding moments with other people, we can add to the relationship, we can add some things that make it better, or we can add some things that make it worse. And so in this series, we're exploring some of God's relational guidelines that help us deal effectively with those regular grinding points. We're looking at seven heart attitudes, seven core values that we hold as a church that deal with relationships and people. And we'll see how when we take God's approach, it results in a kind of glue that makes us strong and cohesive and kind of binds us together in a way that makes relationships enjoyable through the years. That sounds really good. For that kind of enjoyable relational community to develop and blossom, we've got to deal with this me above you approach that comes so naturally. And there's a lot of reasons that we tend to, to feel like we deserve our goals. We deserve to get what we want. Look at how it's described in Philippians 2 verse 3. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, selfish ambition, basically, that means he, he's pointing to the fact that, hey, we've all got it. We're all, we're all selfish. And really that selfishness in us says, hey, I want what I want. I want that thing. I want to be first. I want, I, I want to be considered. And I'll hurt you if I have to get it. I may say or do damaging things. I'm, I'm willing to assert myself enough to make sure I get what I want. That's selfish ambition. We also have got vain conceit. Really what that means, it's, it's kind of like an excessive pride where we think so highly of ourselves, uh, but, but without any real basis. It, it's, a, it's a kind of vain pride or conceit that goes beyond healthy self-respect it's, it's an overboard thinking where we feel entitled or that we deserve to be considered or to have our goals be met first. And some reasons that we have these, you know, default attitudes in life. One, sometimes, sometimes we have things in our life that makes us feel prone to this. Maybe I'm smarter or I've been more educated or maybe I've got more money than you. And that makes me feel pretty good. Or maybe I know more important people, where I've achieved certain awards and honors or degrees, or I've been through some, some rigors that really just makes me better and higher than you. And I deserve consideration because of these great things that I have. I deserve to have what I want and other people should let me. That, that's a, a line of reasoning that if we don't say it out loud, it still comes pretty naturally. Or sometimes we feel that we deserve our goals because we've been deprived of certain things. Well, I've, I've, had, a, I've had a pretty hard life. I've, uh, my struggles in life are way bigger than your struggles in life. You haven't lived the pain and the suffering that I've lived. I, you haven't lost what I've lost. And because life has been so exceptionally hard for me, I deserve to have what I want and other people should let me. Sometimes we, we go in that direction. Well, you know what? God sees things pretty differently. In Romans 2.11, it says, God does not show favoritism. 
It means that God doesn't play favorites. He, he doesn't see any of us as more important than anyone else. Actually, each person that he's created is very important to him. But he doesn't play favorites. So, in Philippians, Paul says, you know, he talks about this selfish ambition and vain conceit. And he says, we're, we're supposed to do nothing that's motivated by either of those two. Now, that, that, wouldn't, that would require a pretty fundamental shift in the way that we handle our pride and our selfishness. And the way that we handle that shift is it's heart attitude number one, our first core value. Heart attitude number one is put the goals and interests of others above my own. This is the big shift. If we read on what Paul says, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, he mentions you should look not only to your own interests. There is a reasonable amount of being responsible and taking care of ourselves that needs to happen. And uh, we, we do need to look at our needs in our life and, and move forward taking care of business. But he says, not only your own interests, but also the interests of others. Really, this verse means that we intentionally stop focusing on all of the reasons that I should be first and all the reasons that I should have my goals considered. And man, I deserve to have things go my way. We, we stop. We stop thinking that way. And instead, we intentionally choose to view others as more deserving than we are. Meaning, I see some, but the people in my life, they deserve to have their interest considered by me. Now, that might sound preposterous. That might, that might even sound impossible, just totally unrealistic. I mean, because you know as well as I, we just can't avoid this clash of goals. Sometimes what I want does not line up with what she wants or what he wants. That just keeps happening. What I want clashes with the people around me, and we can't both be first. We can't both get what we want. Right now, my wife and I were watching a TV show that I really like. <laughs> it's, uh, it's set in England, and there's a, at one scene where one of the main actors is driving over a bridge, and it's in a, kind of a remote farm town of England, and the bridge can only accommodate one vehicle at a time. And so here, here you see the landscape of uh, the, this actor. He's driving along this beautiful countryside. He starts going up over the bridge and all of a sudden another car appears and they're both, you know, they make it to the center of the bridge at the same time. And it's, you know, hood to hood. And all of a sudden somebody's, they, they can't, they, they can't pass. And so there's this exchange back and forth. The drivers are, you know, Hey, hey you, you got to go back. What? No, you gotta, you gotta go back. Well, they're, they're a bit of a stalemate. And then finally, uh, one does decide to back up, and he, so he's, he's backing up, and he's muttering under his breath while he does, and he's, he's yielding to the other person, but he is not happy about it. And I love it. This video, it's, it's a perfect illustration of the clash that we often find ourselves, like two cars on a bridge, and only one person can go through. 
There's no way that we're both going to get what we want. Somebody has to back down in humility. Well, in the, in the clip, when he backs up, it's actually not in humility. It was pretty begrudging. begrudging. He's, you can see there's resentment. You know, it's like, oh, fine. You know, so if I concede to the other person's goal, but I'm resentful about it, I actually haven't served them. It just means that I still think I'm more important. And actually, now that I've let you have your way, I'm even more deserving next time that we clash. And I'm going to bring it up too. I'm going to make sure you remember that I yielded the way. Ah, so many ways that we assert our pride and our selfishness. You know, that show, by the way, it's, it's called All Creatures Great and Small. It's about James Harriet, the uh, farmland veterinary, veterinarian. And um, it's got all kinds of examples of the heart attitudes that we're studying. Uh, examples to follow and then plenty not to follow. <laughs> uh, but whether, whether it's for the good of another person or there's the good of the group for me to consider, there's opportunities to love others and the sacrifice. And it rarely comes at a convenient time. And if you're married, I'm going to let you know right now, the opportunities to put your spouse's goals above your own are infinite. <laughs> they just keep coming. I mean, I, I would think, you know, in my case, the, the last person downstairs should be the one to turn the light off the lights when they come back upstairs. And if we're both in bed and there's lights on downstairs or the doors are not locked, if it were me, I would have turned them off. And then I've, I've confronted that scenario with any like, am I going to, am I going to serve or am I, or do I think I'm more important or I deserve to stay in bed? Or when one of our kids gets sick, you throw up in the other room and that's happened or there's a big, there's a problem or they need something. Uh, who's going to get up? Who's going to, who's going to clean up the mess? at 2 a.m. in the morning. It's your turn. <laughs> it's your turn means I deserve to stay in bed now. There's really infinite opportunities to put the goals and interests of others above my own. Uh, whether, what, if you're not married, if you've got roommates, that's going to happen over and over again. Just anybody that you live with or just anybody that you see on a regular basis, the opportunities keep coming up. For me, I had a situation where uh, when we lived in Riverside, we lived on a property that had two houses and we shared a driveway with this other household and in some yard space. Uh, on our side of the driveway was um, a lawn, a grassy area that was really nice. And on their side, it was this patio with a covering and a nice fire pit and things like that. And we'd occasionally, you know, share the space. But what would happen is since we had grass, their dog would come all the way over on our side and poop in our yard, in my, our front yard. <laughs> and, you know, once or twice. All right. But it happened a lot. And it drove me crazy. I, I thought, what do you, no, you can't, you can't, we don't have a dog. I don't want poop in my yard. And so, uh, you know, they, they tried to take care of it. They tried to, you know, remember to routinely do that. And I, I'll admit, my wife was much more of a saint than I was. She, uh, you know, 
many times she's like, oh, I'll, I don't mind. I'll go clean it up. I was like, no, we're not cleaning it up. I'm not, it's not my responsibility to clean that up. And then the worst is when I take my kids outside, we go, we're playing in their front yard and then we step in it and I'm sitting there cleaning it out of their shoes for the, for the 10th time. Oh my goodness. I, what's going through my mind is I deserve to have a clean lawn. I don't, I don't have a dog and this is one of the reasons. And anyone would agree, anyone would be on my side that I'm entitled to a clean yard and I shouldn't have to deal with this. I shouldn't have to serve or clean up after somebody else. That's, that's the way I felt and I got real animated, well, just real intense about it. And you know, this verse that we're looking at about selfish ambition and vain conceit, it, what, what it means if we were to, here, what Paul says is, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Don't look only to your own, own interests, but to the interests of others as well. That means I intentionally choose to see my neighbors as more deserving than I am. That they deserve to have their interests considered by me. And I will say, in a fair assessment, my neighbor really was making an effort to stay on top of it, and some days he didn't. Also, I would conveniently overlook the ways that they would be considerate of us. And, you know, when we're living on the same property, sharing a driveway, there's a lot of ways that consideration needs to go back and forth. But I would sometimes forget that it, conveniently. And it's almost like God was asking, is it going to kill you if every once in a while you clean up at someone else's dog food? And I, I actually think that God so designed that arrangement to expose just how much pride and arrogance and selfishness was living inside my heart. Really, my focus on myself and what I deserved was blocking me from genuinely enjoying relationships with some pretty good neighbors, people that I was stuck being near every day. Over and over, there's going to be a clash of goals. Who's going to be the humble one? Who's going to put it in reverse, lower myself, and yield to the other person? Now, this heart attitude doesn't mean we're required to be a doormat. Um, it doesn't mean, hey, let people take advantage of you, let people walk all over you, and just become a doormat. Actually, looking throughout more of Scripture, we find that it really is reasonable to hold other people accountable to to pay their own way in life. Actually, 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, for even one, uh, there's, Paul, Paul is again speaking to a, a church and he says, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. <laughs> um, and he's, he's careful to say, if someone will not work, not um, if they can't work. So really this, this practice of heart attitude number one doesn't mean that we, you know, people can mooch their way through life and just expect to be served. Uh, the practice isn't about this. We can also hold other people accountable to bear their own responsibilities. In Galatians 6, 5, it says, for each one should carry their own load. And this idea of, of carrying a load, it's, it's, it's basically like, it's almost like a, a soldier. Every soldier needs to carry his own backpack in life. We're all, we've all got responsibilities that we need to take care of. And if people are capable of work, they're not, you, you know, we can't freeload our way through life expecting someone else to bear our responsibility. 
But when life overwhelms people, I can help out. Also in Galatians, Paul writes, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. So sometimes, not for lack of responsibility, but sometimes life falls apart. And there are exceptional situations that overwhelm a person. And those are the times when, boy, this heart attitude really does come into play. That's when we can get ready to sacrifice and help others carry their load for a time. Not to rescue people from, you know, rescue them from from bearing their own responsibility, but really to help out. So if you were to consider, you know, moments when there's a clash or moments when someone really needs help and there's a chance for us to sacrifice, we may be faced with the opportunity to put the goals of someone else above my own goals. And if I do that, now, I mean, I, I'm probably, maybe I'm going to be the only one. What if, what if they don't reciprocate and put my goals above them sometimes? What if I'm the only one practicing this value? Well, the truth is, we're not. And no, at no moment are we the only ones. Even if nobody around me is, Jesus definitely practice this value. For him, being around a bunch of selfish, arrogant people didn't seem to slow him down much. Jesus knew that there were some sacrifices that he needed to make, some ways he just needed to lower his preferences, really in a way that would please God. And it didn't matter to him how much other people considered his goals. The example of Jesus obligates us to love others in a humble, sacrificial way. Jesus said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Can anyone really deny that Jesus truly considered others? That he truly, in, he, he was interested in the welfare of other people above himself. We just can't get around his example. His love obligates us. And when he says, hey, as I have loved you, so you must love others. Well, what was that? What, in what ways did he love us? John later wrote this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus gave up his life. He, he, died, he actually died a horrible physical death in order to serve others. We may not actually have to do that. We may not have a, a physical death like he did. But we may face a death of a different kind. To give up my goals and preferences, you know, sometimes it's easy. I just shrug that off. But sometimes I've got a goal that's really strong, and I do not want to let go of it. It can be very painful. It can, it can even... It can almost feel wrong for me to give up this goal because of how strongly I feel about it. I shouldn't have to. But in a way, that's what it means to die to myself. How might we be willing to kill our, our desires and our preferences in order to serve others the way that Jesus did? You might see yourself generally as a pretty loving person. But often we, we just tend to think too generally about love. You know, that good vibes or just warm feelings or, or if we pray, God, help me to love people more. 
kind of like a general prayer. But what does that really mean? Well, if we will love people, it, it means we're going to spend a lot of time helping other people with their goals at the cost of our own. It really means to love others means to sacrifice. And as it turns out, real love is, is not general. It's very specific. It comes down to countless practical situations where I've got some choices. Will I help out? Will I sacrifice? Will I wait on what's good for me and mine? I want, I want to see some examples of heart attitude number one in action. And first, I want you to hear from someone in our church who began to practice this. Uh, Zach and Wesley, are, are, they're a couple in our church, and uh, they led a small group in their home last fall. And they did a really great job. We, my family got to be part of that group. And um, I've led groups in the past. You know, leading a group is fun, but it comes with a certain responsibility. And there's, there's a cost to doing that, to, especially if you're hosting it in your own house. And so in this interview, you can hear some of the tensions that Wesley, that she wrestled with. Some tensions actually are pretty common and pretty understandable. And for others, made of, it might have been a block to serving. So listen to this story. For instance, we had um, a carving night, um, pumpkins, and I had paint. I thought paint was a great idea with a bunch of little kids. <laughs> and I had this nice rug that I got. And I was like, the whole night, people matter more than things. People matter more than things. And so um, really serving others, opening my home, um, like cleaning my house. At times it was exhausting, but then it was really humbling and then just like really rewarding um, for it to have a place for people to come in um, and feel safe and comfortable. So, you know, a first time mom, we love our, you know, having our babies be on a sleep schedule. My husband and I value sleep so much. We are eight hours or nope, not good enough. And so when a couple people would like stay a little longer, um, because we were really in, in good conversation, I had to choose like um, that they matter more than my silly sleep schedule um, and just be open to like just letting people stay and have like that honest conversations that like don't usually happen on a Tuesday night. <laughs> people are more important than things. We would have the kids in our bedroom and I have plants in there that are just really Olivia than my plan <laughs> so um, I just had to really have that ingrained in my head like you know the kids are, have, are being like they're having fun with each other um, and it's allowing the parents to like really just like have conversations with each other so I that really that phrase really like stuck in um, and really got to me with just like my things and my bathroom that I had to clean every week and my bedroom, there was crumbs on the floor, but I was like, that's okay. They had a good time and we were able to like just have fellowship together. Zach and Wesley did a great job leading that group. And, and actually, uh, Wesley, even in doing that interview, it was kind of like a heart attitude number one thing. <laughs> it's not her favorite thing to, to, to be on a recording, but she was willing to do it to serve. And so I'm appreciative. Um, there was another time earlier when Zach, her husband, uh, he helped out at when one of the guys at our church needed to move. This was early on. This is actually even before we had launched. And um, Zach didn't have a strong routine of uh, 
attending church because it was during the middle of COVID and, you know, routines were kind of all scattered. Um, and uh, the one thing that he did do was had an exercise routine of swimming, going to the pool to swim after work. And one night he was willing to interrupt that in order to help one of the guys from our church move, which is, you know, just one of those jobs requires some grunt work. And at the end of the night, he told, Zach told me that, you know, carving out the time for that, interrupting his normal routine was, it was a stretch, but that he was, he really was wanting to make his life about something more than himself. And that he was even willing to start inconveniencing himself to do that. And I thought, I'm really encouraged to hear that. That's really exciting. That is, that's what this is all about. That is the kind of culture that we want to see grow. There's a few more examples of heart attitude number one in action that come from the book that we're reading together as a church about the heart attitudes. And um, here, here are some of the examples. They're just such great examples that I wanted to highlight them. Um, and one example might be you swap your summer vacation time frame with another worker who needs that same time off. Or on the job, you finish your work early and you help a coworker who's gotten bogged down. Another way of putting other people's goals first, imagine you're on the freeway and another driver signals to get in your lane. So you decelerate and let them in. Or at a party, you decide to let other people go first for refreshments and for whatever food that's out. Or maybe you're in a situation where you're doing pizza math or the dessert math and you're like, I don't know if we got enough food here. And uh, if, how many slices per person is this gonna be? But at the end of it, you let someone else get the last slice. Or another practical example would be you put your phone face down when your spouse or your child wants to talk. You give up your goal of doing what you're doing. Or here's, here's one. You decide to listen before speaking. So often we're in conversation and just a practical way of loving others would be to wait to say what we want to say. Or you might help clean up after a church event. It's more grunt work that nobody really wants to do, but I'll go ahead and jump in. Or today's Super Bowl Sunday. Might there be any ways for you to put the goals of others above your own? Maybe you've got some strong goals that you're going to watch it in a certain way, or you want to enjoy something about this day, and maybe you're willing to release that goal in order to serve and help somebody with their goal. Not only does this practice help in relationships, but it's really part of the path toward leadership. With heart attitude number one, leaders set the pace. If you're a leader at Valley Lights, and if you want to see this heart attitude spread through our community, well, leaders go first. It means that you go first as you lead. And as a leader, I'll have to be relentless myself in giving up what's good for me when it benefits other people. And if you're coming around and if you would like to be a leader, or if you'd like to earn more responsibility as a leader, this is a practice that we'll be looking out for. In this series, we're looking at how to develop enjoyable relationships. You know, when we constantly put our own goals ahead of other people, hey, that's normal. 
but it causes a lot of friction. It creates frustrating relationships with a lot of grinding points. But in contrast, putting the goals and interests of others above my own, it's brought a lot of joy and delight and motivation to be part of this team that we call Valley Lights Church. There was a time uh, just a couple weeks ago, our family, we had COVID. And so we were, we were at home, <laughs> we did our own lockdown and uh, we didn't see anybody for a while. But you know what? There was a few people that helped out. One uh, family said, hey, we're bringing over dinner. And, and they had made dinner, uh, made dinner, and then also baked um, a really delicious uh, banana chocolate loaf that we can enjoy the next day as well. Another friend from church ordered a meal another, on another, another night and had it delivered. Um, actually, we had a friend, a couple of friends from our church network, uh, one of our partner churches in Ontario, drove all the way in the middle of the week to deliver some medicine that we needed and dropped that off on the door along with a, a goodie bag for the kids. They had gone to the store and bought, you know, coloring books and crayons and some little toys and, and just a bunch of fun things for our kids because we were all stuck at home. And you know what? Those, those, are, those were just a bunch of simple expressions of care, but it really meant a lot to me. It, was, it blessed me so much to be on the receiving end of heart attitude number one. It, it made me want to practice it even more, just, just seeing how, how, much, uh, how grateful I was. This, what we've been talking about today, is the first of seven heart attitudes, core values that we hold as a church. And so we're going to be looking at the remaining heart attitudes in the week to come. They're all very different. But these values really are very important to us and will characterize the culture of our church. And by being here, you'll get a good idea as you listen to these values in these weeks to come. You'll get a good idea of who we are and what we're trying to create. These are God's relational guidelines summarized from key scriptures in the New Testament about how we are supposed to relate to one another. And we don't do it perfectly. <laughs> I don't do this perfectly, but we'll keep working on practicing it. And week after week, year after year, you may get to experience that. If you're new and this has not been what you've experienced in other groups before, I hope you'll get to experience it around here really in practical ways. And I hope you'll join with us in living it out. Thinking about what's ahead, maybe a next step that you might take is maybe you need to identify a person where there's a clash of goals and begin to practice heart attitude number one. Maybe the next step would be, I need to give up my preferences for the good of the church, like Wesley did and Zach. And maybe, there, maybe there's a specific way to give up your preferences for the good of our church. Or maybe ask the Holy Spirit to alert me to opportunities to lower my goals. Sometimes we need God's help just to even realize when we're asserting our selfishness and our pride. We don't even realize it comes so naturally. We looked at a statement from Jesus earlier where he said, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. But then he says this, by this, this kind of love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This kind of loving each other stands out 
When the world sees us being willing to sacrifice our own goals for other people, man, you, you take notice of that because it's so different. That, that's, that's a totally different way of living. It is one of the distinguishing marks of a true Christian, people that truly follow Jesus. This first heart attitude sets up and impacts all of the rest of them. And you can imagine how health and relationships might improve from just practicing this first one. Now imagine the good that would multiply when the rest of God's relational guidelines are in place. So I hope you'll come back next week and join us for heart attitude number two. Let's pray together. Lord God, Father God, you know how prideful and selfish we are. And you're very patient with us. And Jesus, you lived a very different way and sacrificed so much, even for us in our selfishness and pride. But would you help us to see the way forward, to obediently lower our goals? And in moments where there's an opportunity to yield our preferences in humility and obedience, I pray that we would, we would do that that you would enable us to do that by your Spirit. Would you create, through your Spirit, in our culture, this, this value that would become strong and that we'd be serving one another and really attracting the notice of people that are yet still far from God as a result. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible consideration of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.